0: 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the world, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 1 John 4 verses 4 through 6 I had a pastor one time who used to say, we win, and he was right. We should be winning because God is in us. God leads us. But many people start out and fail to continue with God, fail to turn to God in times of trouble. They get the wrong motives and seek greatness or seek wealth. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? The important thing is overcoming through God. Through God, not through your own message, your own wisdom, your own worldly cunning but through God, what the Spirit of God tells you to do. That's what we always must follow, no matter what it costs us. Stay with God. Hear His Word. Do His Word to the best of your ability. Do everything you can see to do that you believe God wants you to do, no matter what it costs you. Few there be that find the way of life, says Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. They fail because it costs more than they're willing to pay. There's the parable of the great pearl. The person who bought pearls found a pearl of great price. And he sold everything and bought that pearl. That's what things of God are. Nothing is equal to them, no matter what the riches, no matter what the fame, no matter what the glory. Nothing equals the Word of God. It's everything to us. After I was born again, when God spoke to me and said, Joan, you know these mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. I was born again instantly. That was August 5th, 1975 that God spoke to me. Shortly after that, I was taken into heaven and merged into the body of Jesus. I knew I was with God. I knew I was with Jesus. I knew I was with the Holy Spirit. I saw no images, no physical images. It was a spiritual experience. But at that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus, made one with the word of God, God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. A few nights later, the exact same thing happened to me a second time. The exact same thing. I didn't know what it meant. I thought at that time, I thought really that it happened to every person who was born again. I was having breakfast with a friend of mine who's 10 years younger than I. He was sort of like a St. Bernard puppy. He had been Catholic and became born again about six months before I did. And I thought he was crazy. Then I was born again, and I said to him, Bill, you know, you're right. This thing of being a Christian is great. What I like best is that thing that happens to you in the night. Now, you know, I said his personality was like a St. Bernard puppy, and Bill was just shoveling food in his mouth at the time I said that. And he kept eating, and he said, what thing? And I said, I don't know what it's called. It's that thing that happens to you when you're taken into heaven, and you're with God, and you're with Christ, and you're with the Holy Spirit. By that time, he stopped eating and dropped his spoon and looked at me and said, What are you talking about? That's the first inkling that I had that this was not an experience that every person who became a Christian had. At the same period of time, I was reading a book about Exodus. And the author said, sometimes when God calls you for a certain job, he will give you a special experience. And the only thing that I could ever figure about that experience is it was the calling of God that was on my life, which turned out to be apostle and prophet. Apostles not. A glorious big deal, like you might think. It just simply means you have a special anointing of God to deal with Scripture. You're always dealing with Scripture. I'm always trying to get some church member to give up some doctrine and go back to specific Scripture in the Bible. I've done this 45 years or so. Prophets are often sent to correct the church, the church members, the ministers, the congregations. So I've done lots of correcting in my life, through God. In nineteen eighty-two, God said to me, "The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God." That is a scripture, in. Uh, 1st or 2nd Peter, over and over, I kept hearing this. I was on an airplane en route back from Hobbs, New Mexico, where I'd spoken to a small church, and I lived in Dallas, and I was en route to Dallas, and over and over, all the way from Hobbs to Dallas, I heard these words, The time is come the judgment must begin at the house of God. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God and that continued all the way to Dallas I didn't know what it meant. I had been very popular on radio in 1980 81 82 I had meetings all over the United States I had radio stations all over the United States and I would go into those cities where I was on radio and have two- to three-day meetings for the radio audience. I was very popular. God had given me messages on taking thoughts captive and following God by His Spirit, and that was very popular. Then in 1982, I heard this message, The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. God began showing me sins in ministries, big time ministries, radio, TV ministries. I tried to get a message to the minister. I couldn't get a message to the ministers. They screened their mail and threw the messages that I sent to them away. God said to me, just give it on radio. I gave it on radio, and Paul was the example for me. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. He told the church that. By that example of what Paul said to the church, I knew we were to name names and, when necessary, warn the church about those ministers. I was on radio from coast to coast, New York City to Seattle, L.A., Phoenix, of course, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, many other stations, Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh, many places. God showed me get on radio and give the message about the sin being committed by the minister. Name him by name, and I did that. Ooh, the hate mail flooded in against me. Radio stations, about half of them, put me off the air instantly. Two of the stations were owned by one of the ministers that I had to speak against, telling his sin. It was a very difficult time for me. It was very hard, very hard. During that time, God gave me a dream, showing me a warning. I was in great danger. If I continue to go out and have those meetings for the radio audience. And God said to me at the end of this dream of warning, don't go until you see Exodus 15. I canceled every meeting for 1982, I canceled everything where I was going out to the cities to speak to the radio audience. One of our church people came to me and said, Joan, you can't do this. You can't cancel the meetings. If you do cancel, you'll lose money. If you go out there, they'll give. But if you don't go out, they won't give. And I said to her, God said, don't go. I'm not going. And I canceled all meetings. And I lost money. I lost a lot of money, a lot of offerings, a lot of people left me. But God supported me. I lacked nothing. There was no lack. And there never has been. During the time I was at Word of Faith Church in Farmers Branch, Texas, Robert Tilton was the pastor. That's the period of time I was put on radio, and I was put on radio in the night by what I believe was an angel of God speaking to me. It happened in the night while I was sleeping. I heard three words, Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I wrote the words, letters KWJS down because it seemed to me those would be call letters to either radio or television. It turned out to be a radio station. I turned to God that same day and said, Are you telling me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. And the Holy Spirit said, Call the radio station manager. So I did immediately. That same day, I called the radio station manager and said, God might be showing me to go on radio. How would you do that? And he said, make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long. Send it to me. If you fit our broadcasting, we'll offer you a contract. So immediately, as soon as I got off the phone, I got my tape recorder and kitchen timer and made an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long and sent it to the manager at radio station KWJS. I had a contract and was on radio within five days. I was on there for a few years until I got that judgment must begin at the House of God message. Now, about half my stations put me off the air in 1982 with that message because of the judgment messages. The radio station manager in Seattle had been so friendly to me I guess all the station managers were friendly to me until I got that message, the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. I was having a meeting in Seattle, Washington, and the radio station manager was waiting outside the meeting room door. When I walked up to him, George had been so friendly, but he... Wasn't exactly friendly. He just stood there and he said, John, if you keep speaking these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. He said, you have many good messages. Just speak those good messages. He didn't realize that the messenger of God must speak the message God wants spoken. Anyway, I just was dumbfounded. I and mean, I was extremely immature, I think. I was dumbfounded, though. But out of my mouth came these words. George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, I don't have a message, and I may as well be off the air. That defined the rest of my life, and that happened in 1982. They did put me off the air. About half of my stations did. It was so terribly depressing at that time, and I was very immature. You kind of expect the church to love you. But I found the majority of the people who attended the churches that I was in, it wasn't the Word of God. Really, that they were attached to. They were attached to fame and success. But see, I know how to have fame and success. I knew, I found that out immediately in 1975. You want to know how to be successful in all that you do? It's very simple Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law, the Bible, shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Psalm 1 says the same thing. Psalm 1. By the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knoweth the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish it's always the same way the word of god the holy bible the new testament bible the promises of god in the old testament And the word of God, the Holy Spirit, speaks directly to us, telling us what to do. So if I have a word from the Holy Spirit saying, don't go until you see Exodus 15, I don't go, no matter what the cost. You have to be that way. That is the only way it's going to work. You have to do what you believe God has told you to do. As a new Christian, I owned a small business in Dallas, Texas, and one of my customers sued me. She took me to court, and God said to me, Don't testify. Everyone was mad at me. (laughs) Everyone. (laughs) The woman who worked for me was mad at me. She had witnessed the incident over which this woman took me to court. And she said, if you're not going to testify, all the pressure will be on me. And I said, but what can I do? God has said to me, don't testify. I can't do it. That did not appease her one bit. She was very angry with me. The man I was dating at the time said, Joan, you're not doing this girl any good. I said, I'm not trying to do her any good. I'm trying to follow God and obey him. And he told me, don't testify. Well, of course, nobody believed me. No one believed that God had spoken to me, but I believed it. My lawyer said, Joan, we'll win this case with Rose's testimony. She's the woman who worked for me who had witnessed the event. Then the lawyer came to me and said, Joan, Flo's testimony didn't go as well as I had hoped or thought it would, but if you testify, we'll win. I said, well, I'll see. That was in the middle of the court trial. I got up and left the courtroom, went in the ladies room and said to God, what do you want me to do about this court trial? And I heard, don't testify. So I went back in the courtroom. The trial was in progress. And my lawyer looked at me when I came in the door, and I just shook my head, no. And they didn't ask me after that. The judge told me, he said, you're not testifying? And I said, no, sir. We got to the end of the trial, and I said to God, I surely hope you know what you're doing. I'm going to lose this case. Sure looked like I was going to lose. I did not lose the case. I won the case. Everything was dropped against me. I was totally acquitted of the charges. Then she tried to file a civil suit against me. My insurance company said we'll take care of her. It was over. But I've had lots of experience in this, where people fought me, but nobody ever won against me for this reason. I tried to do what I heard from God to do and that's all you have to do. There is no counsel that will stand against the word from God. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. In 1980, when I went on radio, I was attending Word of Faith, Robert Tilton's church at Farmers Branch, Texas, just outside of Dallas. Bob came to me and said, Joan, you need to become a client of the Michael Ellison Advertising Agency. Bob was one of their clients. Kenneth Copeland was one of their clients. Marilyn Hickey, at that period of time, Jimmy Swaggart had been one of their clients. Bob said to me, they can do you a lot of good. So I contacted them. They didn't want me for a client at all. And they turned me down. But I had a woman who was a vice president at Browniff Airlines who was one of my radio fans. And she was a coordinator of the ministry in the sense that she handled the travel arrangements for me in all the cities I went to. Barbara said, let me talk to him. She contacted me and said, they have accepted you as a client. Barbara was very, very skillful in arranging things with the world. So they assigned me an ad agent. And he came to Dallas to meet with me. And he came to take me to dinner in a chauffeur driven limousine. I didn't even know how to get in the car. I was so shocked. It was Hollywood, big time. The ad agent said we gave Kenneth Copeland and his wife, two cars, cars of their choice. And when you become famous and make a lot of money, we'll give you your choice of cars. I'd heard Kenneth Copeland say, a man gave me a new car. But he didn't tell people that it was his ad agency and he'd earned so much money for them that they bonused him with a new car. He didn't tell that. But the ad agency told me that they had given Copeland a new car. So we started out in the ministry. The ad agency were so sophisticated, can't believe it. I mean, these were silk suit men, really big deal agents. They came to meet with me in Dallas. I just had a modest apartment that cost hundred dollars a month, we sat down with the Braniff person that I told you about who coordinated my trips and my clothing and things at that time. We sat down at my dining room table, and the agent began to talk to me, and he said, oh, just one thing. We want you to add to your written materials just one sentence, one statement. We want you to add these words to all your printed material. Send me your prayer request. And I said, I don't want to do that. Barbara was shocked. The agent was shocked. I said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. They're supposed to pray to God through Jesus. Well, I never added that. And he said, well, you're missing a good bit. Because when you put those words on your written materials and they send a prayer request to you, usually they will enclose some money. I said, well, I'm not doing that. Next meeting or so, he said, there's just one request that we have of you. We can fill Soldiers and Sailors Auditorium in Pittsburgh for you. We go to the pastors and we get them to recommend that their people come to your meeting. We can easily fill the meeting room. I think it held a little over 2,000. And he said, there's just one thing you have to do. Don't say anything that offends anyone. I said, I'm a prophet. Prophets always have messages from God that offend people. So I couldn't do that. I can't remember their other requests. It was 1980 when this was going on. But I was only with them about four months. They threw me out. One day I got a phone call and my agent said, oh, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but we have to cut back on some of our clients and unfortunately you're one of them that we have to let go. I thought I'd failed. I really thought I'd failed. I knew I was scheduled for big-time television, radio and television ministry, although at that time I was only on radio and had no desire to do television. I never wanted to do that. I did some of it, but I never really had a desire that direction. I really thought I'd failed. God brought to me the scripture in Matthew chapter 4. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and the devil came to tempt Jesus, and he said to Jesus, verse 8, this was the third temptation recorded in Matthew 4, the devil taketh Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And said unto Jesus, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The advertising agency is saying, put on your written material, send me your prayer request. I said, I can't do that. They're saying, don't offend anyone. I can't do that. I couldn't do anything they were asking me to do. So they got rid of me. Most big-time television and radio ministers have ad agencies telling them what to do to get the money and get big. And they go along with it. I saw Bob Tilton lose everything. He lost his wife. He married three wives three times. He and his first wife, Marty, divorced. He lost his church. The whole building got torn down and something like a hockey center got put up. There's no evidence the church ever met at that location in Farmer's Branch. Some of his own followers began suing him. ABC Primetime Live did a television special showing his fundraising techniques. It's written in Wikipedia. It was terrible. Bob got to following commercial secular infomotion. Info Infomotion, I think that's the name of it. That's commercials where they try to sell you something. Bob picked up on that. He was very handsome. He was very charming. He was very likable. At one point, he raised $80 million a year in fundraising with his success in life ministry. There was a woman in our church named Ava, and she was said to be a prophet. She called me one night crying. Bob had asked her to be on his television show just before they went on TV. Bob said to her, just one thing, Ava, don't tell anyone that you're a prophet because it's not popular. I heard him say from the pulpit, I'm going to be greater than Kenneth Copeland. All their greatness, all their greatness." Some men's sins go before them. Others follow after. Some are exposed in front of all, as was Tilton. Others hide and succeed and get rich and have great fame and great prestige, and people worship them. Ministers. Their sins follow after. All I know is this. When God tells you a word, you've got to do it. It doesn't matter what it costs you. You do it. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today. As of today, we have started adding music to the end of the broadcast. If you care to hear it, fine. It's classical music. We're going to play for you today a wonderful recording by a really great orchestra and a great conductor. When I was in music school, I had read books that were saying this man, Wilhelm uh, Furtin... Fert- I don't know his last name, I'm sorry. Uh, he, they said he was the greatest living conductor of classical music at that time this was in the 50s this recording is from 1954 I didn't even know he had any recordings that were listenable what I'd heard in music school was that he didn't have any high quality recordings but I listened to this and I thought it was wonderful. But he was a great conductor, and I was really happy personally to get to hear him, because I'd never heard him before. So this is the first movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. I'm 85, and I was born in 1937, before World War II. I was about three or four years old when World War II started. I remember very well Churchill using this first movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony as the victory sound during World War II. Hitler himself loved Wagner, and he used the Wagner operas, and they are great too. But Churchill loved the Beethoven symphonies. And this is so powerful. We're going to present these symphonies on a trial basis with you. If you benefit from them, fine. If not, well, that's all right. You can skip them, obviously. It's at the end of the recording. But the one thing that I do strongly recommend, if you're playing this on a tablet or on a lesser sound equipment, then I want to recommend that you use earphones. I think that will help the quality of the sound. Now, the orchestra's wonderful. The conductor's wonderful. The instrumentalists are wonderful. It's just that this is 1954 recording, and... I tried listening to one other recording I found of his and it had static on it. But I listened to all of this, all four movements, and I didn't hear the static I heard on the other recording. Well, it was very exciting to me personally to hear this conductor and the symphony orchestra. So you... Have the opportunity right now, if you choose to do so, to hear Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the first movement.